Let's turn together to God's Word. And um, if you've got your Bibles, turn with me please to Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1. We're continuing this morning in our series around the theme of your helper, the Holy Spirit. And this morning, this is the fourth in our series, I've entitled this message, The Holy Spirit and Your Life's Purpose. There's an incredible connection between the Holy Spirit and your life's purpose. And we're going to discover that this morning. So if you've got your Bibles open at Luke 1, we'll look at uh, verse 26, a well-known passage. It says, Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favoured one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered what manner of greeting this was, as you would. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now I want you to try to imagine what this would be like for a young Jewish girl. Okay? Her dream, the epitome of her desire, would be to find the man of her life, to get married, and to have her own family. And all her plans were on track. I mean, ladies, do you remember what it was like as a young teenager? How you dreamt about that knight in shining armor, riding in on the white stallion, swooping you up, carrying you away into the sunset, and you living happily ever after. And then as you grew up, you discovered that they call that sort of thing a fairy tale. You know, I remember when we were sharing with our two daughters about the second coming of Jesus, you know, and uh, how exciting it's going to be when Jesus comes back and he begins to reign over the earth and this world will, you know, will be under peace and uh, will be operating as God intended it from the beginning, sharing about the glory of Christ reigning on the earth and so on. And, uh, you know, at the end they always said, you know, that's good, but I just hope he doesn't come before I get married and have children. <laughs> and for them, you know, like um, the second coming of Jesus was not even a close second to uh, getting married and having children. And, and you know, this was Mary. She was, her dreams were coming to pass. She was, she was engaged to be married. And then God stepped in. And God stepped in because he had other plans for Mary. And his plans for Mary were far greater than even the plans she had for herself. And, and of course, it's, it's always a difficult thing to accept that God actually has a better idea for our lives than what we have. Amen? And God's plan for Mary is, yeah, get married and so on, but, but the child that she was going to have was not just going to be any child, but the Son of God. So she would give birth to God's Son and give Him to the world. No wonder she was called 
blessed, highly favoured, and God is with you, you know? And uh, what, what an incredible thing that is. And only the Holy Spirit could make that happen. You know, as I thought about this and just meditated upon this, I thought, you know, that's just like us. There's so many similarities because I'm sure that like Mary, we have plans for our lives. In fact, I don't get to hear a lot of preaching today because, you know, I just like to listen to my own. <laughs> no, I just don't have the time. But whenever, whenever I do, whenever I do, then, you know, often it's about this theme is that it's like God is there to help you succeed in your plans. There's actually a term for that. It's called self-actualization. And God exists to make you prosper in the goals of your life. You know, when I read the Word of God, I don't see it that way. <laughs> when I read the Word of God, I see that when God saved people, they wanted to do His will. You know, when Paul got saved, he said, what would you have me to do? Lord, what would you have me to do? And in that is the secret, actually, of our happiness in life. And... Uh, you know, actually, God's plan for your life and my life is very similar to the plan he had for Mary. It can be summarized in this phrase, to know Christ and to make him known. To know Christ and to make him known. God wants us, as it were, God wants, as it were, for us, for Christ to be formed in our lives, first of all. And then for us to make him known to the world, to, to make him known to others. You know, I, I, I know that many Christians give themselves to something. In fact, we all give ourselves to something. It might be a cause. It might be a church. It might be a dream. It might be another man's vision. And, and all those things are legitimate in their place. But the one thing that God wants you to commit to is this thing, dear friends, to know Christ and to make him known to the world. Because that is what we were created for. In fact, everything is leading up to Jesus being enthroned on this earth. And every knee bowing, and every tongue confessing that he is Lord, and him reigning over the earth. And you know what? God wants to include us and glorify us in the glorification of his Son. And so everything else actually will flee away, will just be burnt up, will we'll just drop off. But when you give yourself to this life's purpose, you will find that your life has been well spent and you will find great satisfaction in doing that. Now, as we just look at this passage for a few moments, I want to share four things that I believe took place in Mary's life that we can relate to in connection with God's purpose for our life. And the first thing is conception. First of all, this child had to be conceived. Let's, let's look at verse 31. It says, the angel said to Mary, behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son and shall call his name Jesus. You will conceive. You know, there was a, there was a sense of this being a very present thing, a very dramatic present thing. And so Mary's response was, how? How? I'm not married yet. I don't know a man yet. I'm not in that position. How is this going to take place? You know, there are, 
There are two ways to conceive. You can conceive in the natural, you can conceive in the spiritual. Nicodemus found that out, didn't he? When he came to Jesus by night, and he thought he had it all together, but Jesus said, well, you've got it together in the natural, as it appears to man, but that which is born of the flesh is flesh, that's all it is. You're just flesh dressed up in religion. But that which is born of the Spirit is of God. And that's what endures, dear friend. When we conceive of the Holy Spirit, when what God births in our lives and in our hearts is of God. And that's why when, when God shared this incredible vision with Mary, her one question was, how? How is this going to happen? Because if you and I can fulfill our life's purpose, you can guarantee that God is not in it. It's something that man can work out. But for God to fulfill his purpose in you is going to take the Holy Spirit. When, when Mary said, how? God said, the Holy Spirit shall overshadow you. The Holy Spirit is going to be the one that's going to bring this about. Another man that was raised up by God to, to know Christ and to make him known and did so probably more than any other man on earth was the Apostle Paul. And uh, this is what he said in Galatians when he spoke about this whole event. He said, when it pleased God to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the Gentiles, he said, I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood. I didn't confer. From that word confer, we get the word conference. I didn't go into conference with others and discuss it. I didn't go into committee. You know what? God's plans are not birthed in committees. That's usually where they're aborted, actually, to be honest with you. And there comes a time when, when you know, you, we need to discover what it says in the Old Testament, in the book of Isaiah, your maker is your husband. Amen? And, and what God wants to do in your life, he wants you to conceive through relationship with him and to, to understand what God wants to do in relationship with God. Paul went out there in the desert and just God and him alone and something was being birthed in his heart that, that just propelled him into a life's ministry that changed the world for generations to come. I think it's 13 out of 21 of the New Testament epistles were written by Paul and have transformed our lives. But you know, he had to conceive of God. He had to get a revelation of God through the Holy Spirit, what it is all about. Think about Abraham. He was a man that was the forerunner of bringing to birth God's purposes in the earth. When God caught Abraham, he set the ball in motion for his plan of redemption, his worldwide plan of redemption. In your seed all the nations of the earth will be blessed. But you know what? There's a problem. There's a time when he went into conference with, with Sarah. <laughs> you know, this thing is not working out, is it? Waiting, waiting. <laughs> I've got an idea. <laughs> Seemed like a good idea at the time. But it wasn't such a good idea after all. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. And so Mary says, how? And God says, the Holy Spirit. Now what's our response to that? 
What, what's our response to everything that God says to us? Faith. Amen? We respond by faith, resting in what God has said. And in verse 38, here's Mary's response. Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be according to, to your word. Let it be to me according to your word. You know, faith usually results in obedience, in action. Faith is not just a passive thing. It always results in us giving ourselves to something. She said, here I am. I'm your handmaid. I'm available for your purposes. I'm submitted. I'm yielded. That's faith in action. I give myself to this. So that's the first aspect of this thing is, is conception. Something has to be conceived of God. You know, not a good idea, but a God idea for your life and my life. And, you, you know, I, I can guarantee this, that God's purpose for your life is the same as his purpose for every other believer. It's to know Christ and to make him known. And I'm not sure how that's going to be fleshed out in your life. I don't know how, what form that will take. It might be that you give yourself to another man's vision. It might be that it, you know, it involves you, uh, you know, working in, in the church in some way to fulfill that vision. But all I know this is that that's the one thing you've got to keep in mind as you go through life. Am I fulfilling God's purpose for my life, which is to know Christ and to make him known? Because in the end, that's the only thing that's going to matter. And so there's the conception, but then there's a preparation. You know, that's the hard point, <laughs> the hard part, the patience. She conceived, but then she had to carry that which she had conceived. It's a long period. You know, the novelty wears off, all the excitement dies down. People sort of drift away and you're left alone and you've got to carry this thing. Our youngest daughter, Begita, is um, uh, expecting a baby. They're first next month. And it's going to be a girl. We're having our first granddaughter. And, you know, we're all excited. And they were so excited. They've waited for four years. And they were so excited. But you know what? After that excitement, it all just settles down. And then you've got that long, arduous task of carrying that which has been conceived. And is it, I, I, must, I reckon it must be so annoying for Ladies that are pregnant, whenever he keeps coming up to them and saying, how long you got to go now? <laughs> Only six months, three weeks and five days. <laughs> you know, we'll let you know. Man. <laughs> and yet this is the most important part. Because this is the time when that which is being, has been conceived is being formed in the womb. It's all invisible. You can't see it. But... Underneath something incredible is happening. It's all taking shape. But you can't see it. And you just walk by faith during this period. You know, when you look at the scriptures, you'll see that the most significant people that God used were those that had a significant time of preparation. We call it a wilderness experience. You know, you look at Moses. 40 years. Think about it, 40 years. I mean, he's thought that it's all over, I've forgotten, you know. And then God just turns up one day and said, okay, we're ready now. <laughs> 40 years in the wilderness. Think about Joseph. You know, the prime of his life, from the years of 17 years of age to 30, 
locked up in prison. The, pro the best years of his life, some would say, just whittled away there in a prison cell. Seemingly nothing happening. Think of David. Just everything was going well for him and his popularity was starting to rise. Then all of a sudden gets chased out into the wilderness. And he's you know, being hunted like a wild animal, going from den to forest to cave. Doesn't know where he's going to be staying next. And, and, and just running like a fugitive. And this went on for years and years and years. And there's a man on the throne that is just getting the nation in a whole mess. And he can't do anything about it. He knows he's caught, he knows he's anointed, but he cannot do anything about it because it's not time yet. He's just got to wait. Just got to wait it out and not lose faith during that time. Think about Elijah. We spoke about him the other day. Just out there in the desert, totally alone with God, waiting, 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 waiting. Think about Jesus. 30 years on the earth. And nobody knew that the Son of God had come to earth and was living amongst us until the time when the Spirit drove him into the wilderness and, and it was time to launch his ministry. And we spoke about Paul. You know, three years out there in the desert, just waiting again in the ministry because it's not yet. Just sit, just let that which you've conceived formulate in your life. You know, you know, in the, in the 80s, was it the 70s and 80s, there was a great emphasis in the church on faith and then it became hyper-faith. And some of us threw the baby out with the bathwater. You know, I think the church needed a good dose of faith, teaching on faith in those days. Not the extreme, I'm not talking about that. But, you know, there's a lot of, you know, kind of um, uh, small mentality and, and uh, kind of uh, uh, people thinking in terms of fleshly terms and human terms and so on. But you know what the, the, the problem with that is that we had a lot of faith but no teaching on patience. <laughs> the Bible says that we are those who through faith and patience inherit the promises of God. Amen? We need faith but we need patience in order to stay the course. In order to hang in there until God does what he said he's going to do. You know, because you can't make it happen any quicker. You know, it's no good going to a seminar and learning seven keys to fast-track your ministry. <laughs> that might work in the world, but it doesn't work in the kingdom of God. It doesn't work that way. Look at chapter 2, verse 6. It says, So it was, while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. The days were completed. It had to run its course. What is it Paul says? When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. Not a minute early, not a minute later. Actually that term, the fullness of time, it's a metaphorical term. It actually means to fill up piece by piece, like an hourglass. You know, the pieces of sand dropping down until the last drop of sand had fallen into the hourglass, the bottom portion. When the fullness of time had come. God's timing. So what did God do during this time of preparation? What did he do to encourage Mary? Let's look at, go back to chapter 1 and we'll look at verse 26. It says, now in the sixth month, did you notice that when I started reading? Now in the sixth month, I wonder if you thought the sixth month of what? <laughs> 
Six months after what? Well, if you go before, the angel actually had appeared to Elizabeth, who was a relative of Mary, and came to her in her old age, when she was past the age of childbearing and they'd given up on having children, and announced the conception and coming birth of a miracle child who we know to be John the Baptist. Now look at verse 36, chapter 1, verse 36. This is what the angel said to Mary. Now, in, indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. This is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. Why did the Holy Spirit, sorry, why did the angel say that to Mary? Well, after the angel had departed, verse 39, now Mary arose in those days and went to the hill country with haste to the city of Judah and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. See, during that time of preparation, that lonely time, that time when you need patience, God often connects us with people of like faith. People who understand. People who can relate. People who can encourage us. People who may be a little bit further down the track than we are. They've been there, they've done that, they've discovered the grace of God in their situation and they're able to encourage us and strengthen us. And you don't need masses of people, friends. You need the right people around you at that time. Amen? And so this is what she did. She went off. And so it says there in verse 41, and it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Wow. Like connecting with like. You know, there was, there was, a, there was a real harmony in their spirit. And the Holy Spirit who was working in Mary to bring about this miracle birth, was also working in Elizabeth, and, and there was a rejoicing, there was a leaping in her womb, and a real fellowship and identification. Verse 56 says, And Mary remained with her about three months, and returned to her house, about the time that the baby was born. <laughs> Isn't that fantastic? God connects us with people that will help us through that waiting period, that, that time of preparation. But then comes the third stage. And that is when it's time for that which is conceived to be born. We call that the time of travail. Nothing is brought to birth without travail. That's the way it works. And we need that quiet time to gather strength for the time of travail. See, even if something is conceived, it won't be brought forth without travail. Now, you might say, oh, what's this, what's this travail thing? <laughs> you know, it's not a works thing, and yet we do work to bring forth God's purpose. But it's not a labor thing in the sense of striving in the flesh, in our own strength. But there is a travail. I mean, even Jesus, the Bible says about him in Isaiah 53, he shall see of what? The travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. So Jesus, though he went to the cross, there was a travail. 
You know, there was, a, there was a prayer, there was an intercession, there was a bringing to birth of that which was conceived in his ministry. Interestingly, Paul says this to the Galatians. Remember the Galatians? They were a people that he led to Christ and they were rejoicing in Jesus. And then Judaizers came down and messed with their mind and got them back under the law and they got into bondage and everything. This is what Paul said. He said, my little children for whom I travail in birth again until Christ is formed in you. See, the, in the Christian ministry, whatever it is you're doing, there, there is travail. There, there's, there's working and there's working against enemy activity. There's spiritual warfare. There's prayer. There's intercession to bring to birth. It's still God that does it. But you know what? We can't do it without him, but he won't do it without us. And so there is a time of travailing to bring to birth that which he has conceived in us. It's not going to happen automatically. I love that scripture in Zechariah 10 and verse 1. It says, ask the Lord for rain in the time of the latter rain. The latter rain is when there's just an abundance of rain. And yet God says, don't just presume you're going to get some. <laughs> because it's the time of the latter rain. Ask the Lord for rain in the time of latter rain. Yes, God's going to give it, and you can't have it until he gives it, and yet we ask in the time of rain. Amen? That's illustrated in the life of Elijah. Do you remember there was a, there was a drought over the earth? Elijah had shut up heaven, and then after uh, that great um, thing on Mount Carmel, the Bible says that he said to King Ahab, go up, Eat and drink, for there is the sound of abundance of rain. The rain's coming. Get out of here quick. But you know what he did after that? He went and prayed. The Bible says he fell down on the face of the earth. He, he, he just bowed down. He put his head between his knees. He cried out to God. And then he said to his servant, go and see. Is there any rain yet? His servant ran away and said, no, nothing. So he kept praying, travailing. He sent him away again. Any rain yet? Comes back, no. This happened seven times. And then on the seventh time, he says, there is a cloud the size of a man's hands. He says, I'm getting out of here. <laughs> Come on, let's get out of here. Can you see the travail? The need? God includes us because you know, we, we're going to talk about prayer in the spirit in this series and, and how God involves us in that. Prayer is not just us, you know, kind of giving a shopping list to God. The whole thing, it begins with God. He includes us and, and prays through us to bring to, purpose, uh, bring to fruition his purposes in the earth. Isaiah says this, Isaiah 66 verse 8. I give you these scriptures because there's some good people here that come up to me afterwards. What was that reference? <laughs> That's good, I like it, I like it. It says, As soon as Zion travailed, she gave birth to her children. See, that's the thing that brings to birth. And that brings us to the fourth point this morning. What comes after the giving of birth? The final thing is separation. See, at birth the umbilical cord and the, uh, is cut and the placenta is discarded. The placenta or the afterbirth does not come over into the new. It's not that the you know, the placenta is wrong. I mean, it has a very, very vital role to play during pregnancy. 
but it doesn't come over into the new. It's fulfilled its purpose. During pregnancy, through the placenta, nutrients and oxygen from the mother are transferred to the fetus, to the, to the, the embryo in the womb. And through the placenta, the waste products, carbon dioxide, is transferred to the mother from the, from the baby. And so it has a vital role to play. But when the birth takes place, it's not needed anymore. In fact, actually, it can be dangerous. If, if it remains in the mother, it can cause hemorrhaging and uh, infection. And it certainly has no further purpose for the baby. So the umbilical cord is cut. It's fulfilled its purpose. The old does not come over into the new. Friends, often when the Holy Spirit does a new thing, there has to be a transitioning out of the old. You can't bring the old over to the new. Now, there's nothing wrong with the old, you know? Don't think that, you know, it's kind of uh, a wrong thing in, it, in and of itself. It has a role to play, but then when it's fulfilled that purpose, it's discarded. In fact, the placenta comes from the same sperm and egg cells from which the fetus comes. Isn't that incredible? It's the same source, the same origin. Now, I believe there's an analogy here, and it's this. When Jesus was born, it was heralding the beginning of a new covenant. Amen? And the old does not come over to the new. Now, God is the originator of the old. He was the one that brought into being the old covenant. He gave the law. The one who gave the Son also gave the law but it was for a period of time. In fact, it was like um, necessary to protect the race through which Messiah would come until he came. It was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ, but when Christ has come, we don't need the tutor anymore. We don't need the pedagogue anymore. The Bible says that. So the old doesn't come over into the new. It's discarded. And, and, and there's problems. In fact, it's poisonous if it remains. You see the analogy there? It's pretty clear. And, and uh, those in Jesus' day, he was preparing for this transition and they didn't understand it, so he gave that analogy. Do you remember there some people came to him and said, how is it, or I think they came to the disciples of Jesus and they said, how is it that the disciples of John the Baptist and the disciples of the Pharisees, they fast often, but you guys don't fast? What's the story? And so Jesus gave that analogy. He said, you can't put new wine into old wineskins. Now, wineskins were, were the bottles of those days. You know, they, they would um, skin a goat after they killed it and uh, <laughs> uh, clean it, clean it, and then they would tie the legs tight so there was no leakage there, and the, the throat would be the, the pouring spout, and so whatever it kept... Okay, in this case it was wine, was poured in. They pour in fresh grape juice. And then, as it was there for a while, the grape juice fermented, generated gases that expanded the skin and stretched it almost to its limit, right? Now, if somebody came along and said, oh, we've got a whole new batch of 
grape juice. It'd be a dumb thing to put that into that old wineskin because it's already expanded. It can't take any more. Any more and it will burst. And then you'll lose the skin and the wine. And so that's what Jesus was saying is you're trying to put old wine into new wineskins. It's not going to work. It's not going to work. It's, this is not going to work. It's a new day. You can't bring the old over to the new. You know, John the Baptist, very serious, a lot of repentance, a lot of sorrow, a lot of, you know, kind of uh, serious stuff. But Jesus said, hey, there's, there's joy. What is it we're seeing? Righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Ghost. That's the kingdom of God. Some people still haven't got it. They're more fans of John the Baptist than they are of Jesus. Amen. And yet some even go back to, like, to the Pharisees and try to bring the Old Testament law over into the new. It doesn't work. It's like building a house. You know, you build a house, you put up scaffolding. You've seen builders as they build, especially high buildings, they have to uh, uh, erect a scaffolding around the house. I mean, it would be a dumb thing after they've finished their house to leave the scaffolding there. It would be an eyesore. And yet that's what some people want to do in the Christian faith. They want to keep the old. The old doesn't come over into the new. There has to be a separation, a severing of the old from the new. You know, sometimes as God builds his kingdom, he raises up systems, he raises up structures and, and that serve the growth of his kingdom well. But you know what happens is that we become loyal to those structures. We become emotionally attached to them. We become, you know, we have a sort of a romantic relationship with them. But they were only there to serve the wine. The wine is the gospel. Amen. You know, Jesus, there were, there were seven miracles in John's gospel. Seven miracles, and they were all teaching miracles, every one of them. You know the first one? Changing the water into wine. Remember the story? They run out of wine, fill the uh, wine, wine pots with um, water, and then Jesus turned the water into wine. What did they say at the end? This is good wine. <laughs> you know, usually at weddings, you, have, you bring the best wine out first. Make the impression, then when people are a little bit sort of... <laughs> Then, then you bring out the old wine, nobody knows anyway what they're drinking, you know. Now, Jesus said, they said, you've saved the best line, wine to last. That was an object lesson. The, the God saved the best to last. God who spoke in different ways in times past, in this way and that way, has in these last days spoke to us through his son. Amen? He is the best wine. God saved the best till last. Aren't you glad you're living in this age? <laughs> Man, some of you I know would like to be living in the days of Moses. And uh, <laughs> yeah, We sing a song. I, I'm thinking, what are we singing this song? These are the days of Elijah. These are the days. It goes through the whole of the Old Testament characters. These are the days of Moses. These are the days of David or whatever. You know that song? Oh, they used to sing a lot down in Brunswick Heads. Oh, behold he comes riding on a clap one. You know what? No, okay, I'm glad. Don't, don't learn it either. Okay. I think, why, why are these the days of... These are the days of Jesus. These are the days of the Holy Spirit. 
Why are we romanticizing the days of David and Elijah and uh, Moses and so on? You know, God saved the best line, why until last? Hallelujah. So the old doesn't come over to the new. Sometimes, you know, you look at the history of denominations. People hate denominations. If you look at the history, in their day, they were what God was doing. And the rest of the church wasn't listening. And so they had to form another group in order to be available to what God was doing in that day. But the problem is that the old becomes the enemy of the new. And usually the, the greatest opponents of what God is doing are those that were involved in the most recent move. Interesting? You know, this is a Pentecostal church, but you know what, friends? When God moved in the 60s in what was called the charismatic movement, some of the greatest critics were Pentecostals. It's a fact. I was there. <laughs> yes, I am that old. I was there. I was a pastor at that time, and I know a lot of the dialogue that was going around, a lot of the, you know. And so, don't fall in love with the structure. Sometimes there's a separation. If God wants to bring forth his son through your life, for you to know him and to make him known, if anything stops that, guess what has to go? Guess what has to go? The structure, the system, whatever it is, even the denomination. You understand what I'm saying? That has to go because it's the new wine God is concerned about, not the wineskin. The wineskins will serve their time but never lose sight of the wine. I say it again. The one thing that God wants you and I to give our lives to is to know Christ and to make him known you will find the greatest happiness and fulfillment in your life as you get hold of that vision. Amen? Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. You know, as I was praying about this meeting this morning, I just cried out to God. I said, Lord, all I just ask is that you will write this one truth across the hearts of every one of us here today. that God has a wonderful purpose for our lives and it is just simply this, to know Christ and to make him known. If you're not on track, get on track, friends. If you were on track and you got sidetracked, get back on track. If you are on track, let nothing take you off track. Anything that prevents this happening in your life has to go. So that you can say with Paul, this one thing, this one thing I choose. David said, one thing have I desired of the Lord. One thing have I desired of the Lord. That will I seek after. I may dwell in the house of the Lord. I may know Christ and make him known. Jesus said about Mary, one thing is needful. One thing is needful, and Mary has chosen that good part. It will never be taken from her. Father, we thank you this day that you've given us incredible favour. Like Mary, we are highly favoured. 
We are blessed. The Lord is with us. We are blessed to be living in this dispensation, this age of grace, this period of the gospel. Lord, we thank you that you've saved the best wine till last and we're drinking that wine and we want others to partake of this new wine. And Lord, if anything has cluttered that, if anything is uh, competing, Lord, for our attention and our focus, take it out of our ways. We, we, we choose to separate from that, that we might know Christ and make him known to the world. Lord, I pray that you will reveal to each and every one of us how you want this to work out in our lives. We ask this for your glory in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.